Welcome to the Future Humans podcast with Gene Houston and Annalise Smitsman, the co-authors of the Future Humans Trilogy. Hello, everybody. Today, we have the great pleasure of welcoming my dear friend and longtime friend, the world-renowned scholar, Jungian analyst, and cosmic poet, Dr. Anne Baring. Anne has dedicated her life to the explorations of psychology, mythology, ecology, all the ologies, fairy tales, alchemy. She's the author of what I consider to be one of the most important, if not the most important book of our time, The Dream of the Cosmos, which you can see is annotated on many pages by me. And in, in this remarkable book, uh, it is not just the summary of her life's work, as well as the myth of cosmic, the goddess, and many other books, and an enormous collection of articles and talks and presentations that she has written, given, explored, and gifted us with. She, it's as if she is the, the, the woman from, from someplace else. And I came across a letter written by Jung before he died, who talked about Anne without his yet having met her as he has. And he said that in each aeon, there are at least a few individuals who understand what man's real task consists of and keep its traditions for future generations and a time when insight has reached a deeper and more general level. First, the way of a few will be changed. It certainly is true. And in a few generations, there will be more. Whoever is capable of such insight, no matter how isolated he or she is, should be aware of the law of synchronicity. As the old Chinese saying goes, the right man, woman, sitting in his or her house and thinking the right thought will be heard 100 miles away. Thus, an old alchemist gave the following consolation to one of his disciples. No matter how isolated you are and how lonely you feel, if you do your work truly and conscientiously, unknown friends will come and seek you. A beautiful quote from Jung. Think of all the unknown friends, dear friend, and that you have activated, that you have brought into a whole new so mindset, soul set, set, life set. Because in fact, you know, you have helped humanity discover the soul of the world and the cosmos within us. You with your luminous mind, you with your ever, ever, ever exploring intellect, you with your soul that is lit from within and from without and by the very powers that in which the universe thrives. So I want to thank you so much, dear friend, for being with us for the Future Humans podcast. 
as you are well known, not just for your writings on the Grail and the Grail Quest, we'd like to begin there. Dear friend, please tell us what the Grail as a sacred symbol means to you and why you have felt called to, well, to bring the knowledge of this essential symbol back to humanity for this time. Well, I remember being deeply moved and fascinated by the Grail story when I was in my teens. And I had a mother who fortunately encouraged my interest in these things and really laid the ground for my future life. And I also studied extensively the 12th century, which was the time when the Grail, so to speak, came to life. At the beginning of that century, nobody had heard of the Grail except the fewest, few individuals possibly. But by the end of it, there was no one in Europe who had not heard of the Grail legends and who did not know them by heart probably because they were taken all over the courts of Europe by the troubadours. And the troubadours has their roots, I believe, in the Cathar area of France, that is the southwest of France. They were actually trained near Montpellier and they carried this, they had to, to learn the, the, the legends exactly, but more than that, they had to know the meaning of the grail. And the meaning of the grail was actually the Holy Spirit, the feminine aspect of the Godhead, which had been completely eclipsed by the emphasis on the Father God. The Mother Goddess had completely disappeared, or the feminine aspect of God. So the grail was carrying that lost image of the divine all the way through Europe and was sowing the seeds in the hearts of all the people of Europe so that they could bear fruit at a later time, which I think is our time. So that's what the grail means to me. And the symbol of the cup is as vessel is obviously very important, but also there's the whole story of the grail of the, of the king, the old king who was dying, but couldn't die because of the wound in his gro uh, groin that needed to be healed before he could die. And of the hero, Parseval or Parseval in, in the German edition by Wolfram von Eschenbach. Parseval mm -hmm. has to go through many, many trials before he is mature enough to be capable of asking the question, what ails thee to the dying man lying there longing to pass on? And then in that marvellous story, the grail is carried into the hall where he's lying and where Parseval stands by his bed by a beautiful woman called Réponse de Joie, and she carries the grail into the hall. And that, to me, is so numinous. I'm, I'm even crying now. Because it's what we need so much. We need the feminine archetype to help us out of the mess that we're in and to guide us as to what to do and how to do it. And as both of you know, if you've described in your wonderful book, or two books, really, that I've just finished reading, the second volume. You are guiding us with the grail image, as it were, within or behind or around you. You are guiding us to this new consciousness that we need so badly. And with your inspiration, dear friend. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm very ancient now, but, but we, you are a little bit ancient too, not quite as much as me, but we've devoted, both of our lives have been devoted <laughs> to bringing through this teaching or this vision or this revel revelation actually is what it is. And, and we know how difficult this has been and how long it's taken 
years and years and years of devoted work. So I greet you, I um, honor you, and I'm so grateful to be with you both, really, because this is what your our joint work is, has been and is. It is, and thank you so much, Anne. And I'm really grateful also for the way that you have, you know, really brought forth the wisdom of the grail, because so often people connect with it only superficially as if it is a relic, <laughs> but indeed it is so, so much more. It is this, this feminine wisdom, it's the womb <laughs> uh, as well. And um, also representing the codes of the higher heart, which indeed we write a lot about in Return of the Avatars, our second book. Now, for me personally, the grail also has been really uh, an incredible wisdom to, to guide, to go through challenges, to, to face the darkness, knowing that there is something deeper within us uh, of integrity, of incredible love, <laughs> um, of a direct source connection that actually comes forth within us and awakens within us when we need it the most. And um, this is, I think, also its power and its guidance and its wisdom for, for right now and everything that is uh, happening. Now, in the inner mystical traditions, the, the grill also, as you write about as well in your work, also represents this alchemical transformation that takes place within us. Uh, when these uh, sacred codes of the higher heart, when they start to awaken within us, and which then helps us to really come onto this path of love and higher purpose and service. And I believe personally as well that the grail codes of the higher heart are very important uh, for the development of our human powers and therefore also the cultures and even the systems by which we grow and develop our worlds. And we mention in our book that these codes also serve to evolve our collective consciousness uh, to higher orders of reality, which again, right now, is just so incredibly important uh, with what we're faced with. And but when these codes are not awakened, um, that's when these archetypes of domination and egoic operating systems, they uh, can much more easily take over our human minds and, and humans start to fall into duality traps uh, and division. And as we see now all over the world, you know, it might be that that is the deepest story behind our climate crisis and the wars and the violence and the biodiversity laws. Um, and that this return, therefore, to the grail codes and the grail wisdom and the grail quest uh, can really, really help us now to become aware of and then access and explore and then bring forth these higher orders of reality that form part of our larger cosmic selves, which we've been referring to as our avatar selves. Now, in your work, you also talk about this alchemical transformation. And I'd love to know if there's something you can share more about this for everyone who's listening. Yes, I would love to do that. I think the alchemical tradition goes back to Egypt and to the temples of Egypt, which knew about this science of the transformation of the soul and taught it in the temples. And from there it was passed to alchemy, both um, European alchemy and Persian alchemy. And it entered Europe through both of those streams. And the whole, um, the whole teaching really, which is also contained in the teaching of Jesus, I may say, or Yeshua, as he was called in Aramaic, 
this is what he was trying to teach us all those centuries ago, all those uh, millennia ago, really. So the first stage of the alchemical work is called the negredo, the blackness, the darkness. And one could say that this is the state that the whole of humanity is in at the present time. We're really being called to enter the alchemical pro uh, process very urgently because there isn't much time. We're, we're threatened with climate change. It's really the time of judgment that we're faced with now. And we have to develop the capacity to understand this and to grow with the challenge that we're faced with. So as I said, the negredo is the first stage and it's about, about what's called overcoming the old king. Now the old king is the archetype of the, uh, the father God, if you like, that has dominated the last 2000 years without any presence of the feminine with him. So in many of the alchemical texts, you have the image of the old king dying and the new king being born or coming forth. And there's a most marvelous book called The Splendor Solis, in which the young king is illustrated in, on one of the pages. And it's so deeply moving. And he's coming forth from the unconscious, trying to be recognized by humanity as where we have to move to. We have to move to these new values. We have to leave the old patriarchal values behind us, which were all about power and, and dominance or domination. And we have to develop the values of service and love, as you were saying, Annalos, because we simply haven't understood that this is the teaching of all the great spiritual te teachers before. They've come to this planet to help us to awaken these grail codes in us and to awaken our heart to a higher understanding of what we're here on this planet for, that we are in fact divine beings incarnated on this planet for a very good reason, which is to take care of it. Anyway, the Nograda is a long spell, maybe many years in my case, probably 20, 30 years spent looking, searching, wandering in the dark, so to speak. And then comes the albedo, the second stage, which is the whitening, the clarification, the, the shining of the moonlight, the weeping of tears of sorrow and understanding. When you realize that you've been living all the wrong way and you have to completely change your understanding and relationship with life. So the albedo is associated with moonlight and the coming of the dawn, the gray light of the dawn. It's very moving to read about it and to read with the alchemists what they went through as they discovered this is the most important discovery of alchemy is that spirit was present within nature. And this completely contradicted the um, theology that they've been taught for a thousand years. And this is where the grail comes in because the grail holds the image of the missing values and the, the missing consciousness that we need to develop. So, um, as I said, the albedo is the, the, the moonlight stage, the awakening, the melting of ice, the melting of the heart, which has been so wounded in these thousands of years of war. This, the traumas that the collective human psyche carries are unbelievable and deeply, deeply imprinted. And we need to go through a great healing, which is part of the albedo, a great healing of the collective psyche and the great awakening and healing of the heart so that it is capable of loving because when it's frozen, it's not capable of loving in the way that we're called to love.
So that's the second stage. And then the third stage, I'm not going through the, there is a third stage called the Citronitas, but I'm not going to go into that one, but we'll go straight to the Rubedo, which is the final stage, which is the reddening, the, the dawning of the light um, with the coming of the sun at dawn, the awakening of the whole psyche to the revelation that it is spirit and it is embodying spirit in this dimension and that everything around us is sacred and holy. The whole planetary life is a sacred order, which we've completely missed the, the point of or the existence of. So it's, it's really, as I say, perhaps in some people it comes suddenly, a sudden revelation. In my own case, it's come slowly with the writing of these books, The Myth of the Goddess, first of all, and then The Dream of the Cosmos. And um, it takes time for most people to enter into this. And it also takes a lot of solitude. You, you can't live a social life when you're trying to do this work. You really cannot. You can live a, a normal family life, but you can't leave a, lead a busy social life with, with um, lots of Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and God knows what all the time intruding on your life. You have, you have to need solitude, contemplation, um, listening perhaps to music, looking at nature, spending a lot of time in nature. All of these things are important for creating this revelation or bringing us to the point where we have it revealed to us what we're supposed to do and who we are. So I think that's a summary of, of alchemy. Remember the old king and the new king and also the union of the king and the queen, most importantly, the two archetypal images um, of spirit, if you like, which need to be joined within us and within our culture. Yes, I would like to come in with the question of the rising tide of women as perhaps the only, not just the, the most important necessity of our time, but maybe the only one who can really turn it around. I mean, you and I are both of an age now, of the long view of life and having seen so many changes that humanity and our world have gone through. Before I ask about our time, I'm going to ask you about the, was something very deep that you know, and you know it in a particular way. And the, the best place that I can find it, of course, is in the Gospel of Eve, where it, she says, I am you and you are I, and in whatever place you are, I am there, and I am sown in everything, and in whatever place you wish, you may gather me. But when you gather me, you gather yourself. From the lost passage, from the lost gospel of Eve. So yes, we can talk about what's happening in the war in Europe, in Ukraine, what this signals for our time. And maybe the, the rising of the Grail Codes, but I think it is that, and it is also the rise of women in her fullness. <laughs> you know, what the Gospel of Eve says, and, and in whatever place you wish, you may gather me. How do you see the gathering happening? You have done so much in your life and work to call forth the gathering. Now, at this age, I'm, I'm going to be 85 in a few days, and I believe you just had your 90th. How do we, we elders, we ones who 
have done what we had to do, and then we did some more. <laughs> How do you see us? Of uh, well, not just the elders, but the youngsters like Lewis. Really, how do you see women's conscientiousness, cosmic conscientiousness, rising to respond and to act upon a time in which we have the choice to either grow or die? Well, I think that we are just at the beginning, really, of women becoming conscious of what their real role and task is. Even though there's been a lot of preparation in the last hundred years with women coming out of their seclusion and their oppression and being able to speak, becoming educated enough to speak, as I am doing, I had to go through the educational process to, to be able to do that. But it goes far beyond any woman's movement, far, far beyond anything that we can see in the world today. I think we can see the signs of it in uh, the response to the terrible suffering and the exodus of the population from Ukraine. We can see it in the response of Poland and of Germany. I regret to say not our response. It has been really disgraceful in taking in these refugees. But Poland and, and Germany and Moldova and Romania and Hungary really have been quite extraordinary in opening their arms. This is a feminine gesture to receive the suffering, to comfort the, the weeping and the wounded and to take in the children and see that they're educated in schools as soon as possible so they don't lose their education. So that, that to me is perhaps a first sign of something new. And I think we also saw it, you may not be aware, but the women of Russia protested against the war in Chechnya and the war in Afghanistan. And I'm not sure that they didn't stop one or the other or even both wars. So I was hoping that this time that they would come together and do this again. But I haven't so far. There was a march in, in uh, Moscow, I believe, or, or St. Petersburg by a group of women on this, on this role, so to speak. But I haven't heard anything further for about six weeks. So I'm disappointed that I can understand that the huge courage that's needed to activate such a movement, but I think that something like that could shift the balance away from this dreadful patriarchal oppression which we're seeing with Putin. And also Putin's disastrous um, identification with a holy war that, that um, the patriarch Kirill has encouraged him in this and has declared that this is a holy war to uh, restore the boundaries of old Russia, the, the Stalinist Russia, and the, the Tsarist Russia. Uh, this is a fatal inflation of Putin identification and calling it a holy war. And Kirill should be ashamed of himself as a Christian for saying any such thing and I think has been re reproached by quite a few people in the church and certainly in England and other countries in the world, uh, that he has no business associating God with such a, um, a revolting display of power and uh, hierarchy and persecution and destruction. This has nothing whatsoever to do with God's will. So I think that um, women need to be much more conscious of all this. They're not sufficiently aware of what's going on, I don't think, to speak up. 
and to encourage the Russian women in face of great danger because they will be persecuted if they try and speak out. But enough, if enough of them came together, they could do it because there are millions of women in Russia who could be involved. Mm-hmm. And they've already lost between 15 and 17,000 young men in this mm-hmm. atrocious war. Can you imagine what that's doing to their hearts? And I, the, uh, somebody in the UN uh, of, from Ukraine spoke up about three or four weeks ago and told the story of a young man, a soldier, who was on the front there, and he contacted his mother and said, Mama, I'm frightened. I don't want to die. Uh, Mama, Mama. And five minutes later, he was dead. And they found his mobile with the message on it. So this is the tragedy of the mothers losing their precious sons, who they've taken 20 years to bring up, to feed, to love, to go through school, get them to school. And what are they given? They're given this picture of sacrifice, ritual sacrifice of their young sons. Mm. I, I, I think it's so appalling, it's so shocking, so terrible that I have no words to express my fury that this should be taking place on our planet still at this late stage in our evolution. It's, it's utterly, utterly shocking and it's utterly barbaric that we're still locked into sacrificial rituals of this nature um, and don't see what would actually destroying God's creation in sending these young men to war to be simply killed. Um, and, and equally, the Ukrainian young men who have to defend their country and who want to defend it against this fearful aggression that they're faced with and never having been faced with anything like this before since the Nazis um, yes. invaded their country. And then since um, Stalin also um, imposed his will and starved three, three million Ukrainians to death under his rule, Stalin did. I had a cousin called Robert Conquest who wrote a book called, oh God, what was it called? I don't know, but anyway, he catalogued these horrors that Stalin perpetrated. And, um, and I remember he, he changed from completely unconscious man into a completely dedicated person, uh, bringing these horrors to light, because nobody had done it until he did it. So there we are, that the Stalinist horrors are there underneath everything. That's the trauma that already exists. And then this other trauma. And I found, interestingly, if I've got a few minutes, that yes, please. Um, 3, 000, no, 5,500 years ago, in what's called the, the um, country of old Europe, or the civilization of old Europe, which was a goddess culture, yes. which um, that wonderful um, Marika Gimbutas discovered, and apparently there was also a Ukrainian man who in the early part of last century also discovered in Ukraine the remnants of this extraordinary culture. Um, but Russia, I mean, Soviet Union wasn't interested at that time. And so they disregarded what he'd found. But it's all come up in the last few years and is put together with Gimbutas's discoveries. And this culture was destroyed by um, people coming down from the Russian steppes just as they're doing now, and bringing with them the hierarchical organization of society, the primacy of the male and the, of the warrior above all, and the subservience of women. And that was imposed not only on the culture of old Europe, but also on um, all the countries east of Europe going to India 
and it formed the basis of the patriarchal system in, in India. And the um, patriarch, the, the the priesthood, the supremacy of the priesthood in India. There was quite a different culture before then, as there was in old Europe. So we're re we're seeing a repetition of a pattern. After five thousand five hundred years, this is repeating again, bringing with it the same ghastly um, ideology of power over others, the rape of of a of a whole nation, really, the rape of of uh, forty million people. And also, part of this, if I can go on, part of this is the production of our appalling weapons of destruction, the nuclear weapons, which was started by the United States when it split the atom in 1945 and developed the atomic and then the hydrogen bomb. And then, of course, Russia, the Soviet Union had to follow suit afterwards. And that was the beginning of the um, nuclear race, in which we now have nine countries who are um, equipped with nuclear weapons. And we have Putin threatening Europe with these if we dare to set foot in Ukraine with anything more than what we're doing at the moment to help them. So this is outright evil that has come from the ignorance that we are part of nature and that we cannot destroy nature in the way that we did when we split the atom and developed these bombs, because this is a crime against the divine really. It's a crime against the whole of um, the divinity of what we are and what the planet is. So I feel very, very strongly about this. And America hasn't nearly um, understood, not even begun to understand what it's done in splitting the atom and developing all these weapons because it started the whole thing. And the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was a prelude to what's happening now in Ukraine to just wipe out the civilian population and um, you don't acknowledge the evil that you've done, you're completely unconscious because you see things only in terms of power and the obtaining of power over other people. Given the fact of the last days, I hope, of the toxic uh, patriarchy who should have died a while back and has not, and what we have is it's gestating corruption. What do you, standing in now, for the goddess, the great goddess herself, what do you, as a great goddess, someone you know very, very well in the depths of yourself and also in the heights, what does she say now through you? She says, speaking as the Holy Spirit, wake up before it's too late. Because if one of these weapons goes off, or more than one, you will have destroyed so much of the earth and you will have destroyed so many people whose lives are precious to me. And you won't even think of what you're doing until it's too late. And if you do this, it's really the end of your civilization on this planet. It's the end of really the higher orders putting up with your going on in the same way as you have been doing for the last 4,000 years. You need to recover your soul. You need to recover the sense of who you are. You are not just lost on this planet. You're certainly not a fallen species, as you've been told, that ridiculous myth which taught you all the wrong thing. You are belonging to the higher orders of the cosmos, and you need to know 
of your relationship with those higher orders because those orders are watching what's happening on the planet now. And they are shocked and appalled. And their heart is bleeding for what our hearts are bleeding from too in watching this terrible thing happening in Ukraine. So I think that's is what, what she, that's her message. Um, Thank you. Yes, I I feel that very, very deeply. And as you were talking about these weapons of mass destruction, it seems to me as well, we're face to face really with the roots of violence in all ways. You know, we can, our minds can be weapons as much as these, we've created these physical weapons uh, out of the splitting of the atom has been the, the this attempt to try to split reality. Uh, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and and coming back indeed to the nature of the quest and how we started this conversation, is that the quest is also bringing us face to face, really, with who we can become if we rise up and accept really the evolutionary call of this time, or else, as she just mentioned, um, we play ourselves out of the game of life here on planet Earth. And never before, has this contrast been so strong as a species where it is really about, are we going to choose for life or death? That's right. Yeah. And this is where indeed um, the wisdom of the heart is so important to guide us because the behaviors of Putin's and men like him and others of will behave and act out of violence, whether man or woman. All of that comes from a consciousness that is not rooted and is not sourced in that wisdom of the heart and therefore only cease to attempt to exist and to control existence by dominating, by dividing, by manipulating and my sense is from around the world, people are rising up and standing up and saying, enough is enough. <laughs> this is why in Return of the Avatars, our main character, Rose, he says, this stops now. <laughs> now. Yes, I like that very now. much. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because what is so extraordinary, because faced with this climate change um, you know, challenge, instead of really coming together and saying, what can we do together to... to um, change our whole way of behaving and everything. They just go on with the rivalry and who's the greatest, whether it's China or America or Russia. It's like three dwarfs arguing with each other over a pot of gold and they don't see below them is the abyss. <laughs> you know, it's just so ridiculous and that they can't see that their role could be the most extraordinary, wonderful role if they came together as brothers and said, look, we're going to help each other, not be rivals with each other. We're going to share what we have, not try and get most for ourselves. Let me ask you a very personal question for me. You recently put me forward uh, as uh, to be named heroine. Well, that, that is a very tall order. And I've tried to, I've been given to heroics of one kind or another all my life, but this is the turning of the page of hopeful to history. What would you have me do? I've worked in almost 100 countries. I've done, I've been there. And now at the age of 85, I still have my health, but I have to go out again. 
what would you have me as heroine since you gave me that sobriquet? <laughs> what would you have me do? You tell me and I, by God, goddess, I will do it. I think you should listen to your dog because I think you did that before, which put you in touch with Anna Lose. I seem to remember. Yes. You have to ask the, in, the inspiration of your instinct that the dog represents. Yes, she does. The wisdom of that instinct. I think you'll be guided, Jean. You've been guided so much throughout your whole life. I do think for all three of us, I think there may be something more that we can do together to right. get this, this, this um, what we're speaking about through to a wider audience and to really, I don't, I don't think starting a movement because it's too difficult to manage a movement. That's right. But I think it could spread um, from woman to woman as this is woman's task now. And you could be the leader there definitely because of your experience and also your, your long contact with all the different civilizations that you've been in touch with. So you know them backwards. You know all you need to know it's just a question of how to gather all that experience into one focus and just do what you're inspired to do. Because I see you as, a, as an inspiring woman, one of the most inspiring women on the planet, which is why I've nominated you for this role or this um, honor, really. I've noticed in my own life I'm being asked to speak on subjects that I haven't had the authority to speak on before. But now I have the authority and you have the authority because of our age and our experience. And we can say what we feel like saying with not beating around the bush, going straight to the point. That's <laughs> what I've, I've done now. And, and, <laughs> um, and just like you did, Anna Lewis, as uh, Rose did in that book, she took on the giant and she went for him. And she wasn't going to um, let him get away with what he was doing to that little boy. Uh, you know, she was go not going to tolerate it. And I think we have to really go for the scientific materialism, which has completely cut us off from God and the soul, and which says that uh, we're the only intelligent people in the whole universe, which is so ridiculous and nonsensical that it makes my mind sort of boggle. But it, it has been responsible for undermining the old religious order, if you like, of Christianity for in the last 300 years. People don't know about this because they don't know about the history of how the scientific materialism came to be and how it got so fixated in our culture and how it controls the universities and the schools, what children are taught in the schools and universities now. So that has to go as well. Uh, the whole idea that there is no God, no soul, no life beyond death, that's another thing they said it because the consciousness originates in the neurons of the physical brain. This is nonsense. It originates in the cosmos, in the consciousness right. of the cosmos. So this is, I'm addressing this in my own talks now because I feel very strongly. And this is the time when I can speak up. I don't know how much longer I have. And Eugene must also speak up on whatever feels most relevant and important for you to um, speak on. And speak clearly and simply. You don't need to give long explanations. You just need to say no more. <laughs> been in a, a mass psychosis since 1945, mm -hmm. or really since the First World War, um, in which we are doing things that are really evil, but we don't know they're evil. Well, my dear, what you are speaking to is the, the evolution of Lysistrata. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it, this is the replaying of Lysistrata for our times. Yeah. So we have to figure out what is the action that we will take.
and and we will take. We, we don't have it. We have no other possibility. It is it is right in our face. We have to go forward to really have a meeting from the depth, <laughs> not just giving our clever ideas, but from the depth selves that we all contain. And what we, not we, what we can do, what we will do. You know, dear friends, women and men and all the different genders lately in between <laughs> or emerging, uh, these are the times and we are the people. And as the old saying goes, if not now, when? If not you, if not us, who? Let's go for it. Exactly. That's it. That's it. We take up the call. <laughs> and also, I think we can ask the indigenous peoples to help us, to bring them in. They have already spoken many times, but they could be always included as a matter of course in whatever discussions we're having. Um, because their view is so ancient and so authentic and so pure still, in spite of the most terrible persecutions. So their voice is strong because they've made themselves strong over the centuries, really, in order to survive. I'm part of a movement in Europe where we call ourselves Indigenous Women of Europe, because this is something that has been lost in, in Europe. Um, we seem to have forgotten our own indigenous roots and that indigenous consciousness. And That's so, a lovely idea. Mm. Yes, yes. So it starts, the inclusion of the indigenous is not only by including the indigenous stewards and communities, but also to reconceptualize ourselves as indigenous of this planet. And also to, we are also future indigenous <laughs> because as the earth is going through you, it's transformation. We are transforming with her and um, to really yeah, connect directly with our own indigenous roots, each and every one of us where we are, because without our earth, we would not be here. Yeah, and with our spiritual roots at the same time, because yeah. we've completely lost, we've lost our spiritual roots. And uh, we've been given truths which are not truths. And we've been given stories which are not true stories, like the myth of the fall, for instance, which was yeah. a disastrous story to impose on humanity. And still, I was listening to the Pope the other day, you told me to, to listen to yeah. that service. And I was absolutely appalled by the emphasis on, on guilt and sin in that service. Just awful. Just awful. Yeah. In the of dreadful. Service. Yeah. So we've got to change all that, and which I'm trying to do also in my, my talks and my writings. And so we just go forward. You've got to write your next volume, which I imagine <laughs> is already well forward, is it? Yes, and we're starting the Future Humans Quest soon. I would love to have you there as well as a guest speaker, of course. Yeah, thank you. We have to yeah. go through the quest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we have to also, I wanted in my birthday thing with uh, Jim Garrison, I mentioned that I wanted there to be a film about the Grail. Yes. And, but, but somebody said um, afterwards in another talk, who, yeah, when I was speaking again with, with Jim, but on another sort of day, but this man came up and he said, well, you know, it's all there in the, in the trilogy of um, Gene and, and Annalise. That could be made into a film, in which it could. <laughs> Have you thought of that? It, it's got more of a chance of being made into a film than my idea of a, of a grail story. <laughs> you need to find the right person. Can... You, you will find the right person. You'll yeah. be guided to the right person. I'm not worried about that. You'll be, yes. you'll be guided because um, she will guide you. That's it. 
I saw really a re recreation of the Grail story, but in a modern um, context. That that's that was very much, and and while we were working on the book, it came through as really as a film. You yeah, know, really translate the, the visuals yeah. into words. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be a wonderful film, and the whole thing of the quest would come back, and the. Yes. Um, Yes. The, compa the companionship on the quest of the people exactly. who are and a, and, a, and a very different understanding of the dragon because also again yeah. in Europe the dragon has been made into a beast and yeah. it's patriarchal but the, the, the dragon is the guardian of the alchemy of fire and all of the problems that we have today in terms of climate change, in terms of wars, in terms of economic greed and divisions are all come down to lessons about fire and about not understanding how to work with the power and the consciousness of fire. So we are burning each other, we're burning our world, rather than working with that power and consciousness for the transformation of our consciousness. Yeah. I, the dragon means a lot to me. I sent you that picture, yes. which is one of my yes. favorites, but I've got lots of other dragons. <laughs> Please send them. I, I made a story about um, a king, a queen, and a dragon. and the queen was taken prisoner by the dragon and the king went in search of her. She wasn't really taken prisoner, but she, she fell into his power, so to speak. And he, the king went on a long quest for the queen and he found her with the dragon. And the dragon said, well, it's about time you turned up. <laughs> I've waited thousands <laughs> of years for you. And I've been looking after your queen for you all these thousands of years. And then there was a great feast with the dragon who was the cook. The dragon turned out to be a wonderful master, master chef cook <laughs> and produced a feast. And that was the end of the story. But the, the dragon has been with me for many years. That's 1994 that I told that story. My husband, my husband, my late husband was very much a dragon follower. That was his spirituality. And uh, so much so that uh, he was a great healer in his own way too. He would join with the dragon, and uh, and I'll go in his room, and he wasn't there, so I don't know where he was. But he would fly over the earth with the dragon, or in, as the dragon, and find people who need healing, and then he would go down and do his <laughs> special his special work on them. Well, that, that was his being a dragon. He was a professional dragon. Well, bring that into the film, Jean. That would be lovely. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, have a dragon who who heals people. That would be lovely because yeah. it is the fire, the power of fire which does heal. Yes, in the and power the sacred, of life. Really. That's it, and the sacred masculine in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and men need to know that there is a sacred masculine as well as yes. the sacred feminine, yes. and that their true role is a, a knight of the grail. Really, that is their role, exactly, and in, in service of the grail. Well, dear friend, thank you so, so very much. This has been a richness and an enchantment and a true telling. We could not ask for anything more. Well, it's been wonderful for me to be able to be with both of you and to be inspired by you and also for you to listen to what I had to say. That's really lovely. Thank you. <laughs>